Hi, and welcome to the Week 8 Learning Community Reflection. Um, today we're going to be discussing two films, the first of which is 13th, and the second is Three and a Half Minutes, Ten Bullets. I'm Leah. I'm Liam. I'm Shadir. And I hope you enjoy listening to what we have to say today. Um, so in talking about uh, 13th, uh, the documentary by, I think it was Ava DuVernay, yeah, I said it right, <laughs> um, on, on Netflix that we watched, uh, one of the um, things that kind of repeated throughout the, other than like the really good imagery um, that was used in the film, um, one of the things that, that repeated throughout the film is this one sort of single frame of criminal. And like the whole like idea of that was that every time someone spoke about the criminalization of a, um, a black person or like how um, black people have been criminalized um, and systematically oppressed um, and like by the government, um, like whenever someone like said like, I was told I was a criminal, that criminal um, frame, like that, them saying that would um, correspond to like a, a frame of like just the word criminal. And that happened a lot throughout the, um, to, the approximately two hour film. Um, and I just thought of, about that, like uh, like how, I guess I guess it was like, it was really centering to um, like um, see that. Cause like, I think like it being repeated kind of just shows the like the extent and the amount that this happens. Like we're speaking about these topics and like in each of these topics, like um, it's just going back to the whole idea of like criminal, criminalizing black people, criminal, they're criminals. This is the, them, this is, like, and like the fact that like it just repeated out throughout the film every time like it was said, um, like I thought that was like really interesting. Um, but that's that's on um, like sort of like a part of like the really good visuals of the film and like the rhetoric that that holds. Um, what I actually, the first question I actually asked um, about the film was, um, it made me think of like, what is the reason that people are like are not allowed or don't want to change amendments? This is not really necessarily like, only related to the, the topics we discussed um, from these films, but like, I just want to ask you guys, like, why? Like, is it because I've never understood that? Like, there's always talk about like, you know, amendments. Um, like, I don't know what this amendment for the gun. Well, second, second, amendment. second, yeah, the second one. Um, like, I, I just want to know, like, like, what is the reason? Like, like, there's so much debate and like nothing ever happens. Yeah, um, I mean, honestly, yeah, I, I've noticed that too, like, especially with the Second Amendment, it's like, oh, well, it's an amendment, so we can't possibly go against that, because, like, obviously our founding fathers were these, like, perfect human beings that could predict how society would be today, but no, that's obviously not true. They were, I mean, not only imperfect human beings, I mean, they, like, owned slaves, they were, they were, if anything, like, very imperfect human beings. <laughs> yeah. And when they wrote that, it was also in a different time. So like for the second amendment, it was like written because they were in a time where they felt like having guns would prevent like something like the British coming in. And it was like all based in a very specific time period. And it's the same thing with the 13th. Like, I I mean, I think the, the film kind of talked about it a little, a little bit, but I think that they included that part about specifically prisoners not having rights because they knew that like there were going to be all these freed black people that they needed to be able to control. And I think that was maybe even included just so they could do that. It was like almost like this planned like response 
because they knew they had to free the slaves, but they also like wanted to maintain that control. I think an uh, interesting parallel brought up in 13th to that is the idea how like the founding fathers couldn't predict the, how the future would be and how the laws would affect society today. How the opposite is kind of true with uh, the whole war on drugs and the war on crime and the idea of like drugs being public enemy number one. Right now, we might look at problems with uh, the amount of uh, prisoners, the prison population, the problems with three strikes law and think, oh, wow, they probably had good intentions, but these aren't working out right. But this film showed that it wasn't good intentions. It wasn't an accident that right now there's so millions and millions of incarcerated Americans. And yeah, that was a plan. When you say that, it definitely reminds me of um, like what I think it was Reagan's campaign strategist. His name was Lee um, Atwater. And like he was basically saying like, um, like, he was basically saying, and I forgot what the specific quote was, but like he was basically saying, you use ex- abstract terms that say like, oh, like we're just speaking about economics. We're, our policies are just like supposed to be like targeting like economic issues to mask the racism that are actually like within the issues. So like, um, like I just thought like like I remember I don't I really don't remember. I wish I could remember his quote, but like. He's basically saying, like, oh, you just say that, like, you know, like, it's an economic issue, but actually, like, you know, you target the communities that, like, I mean, primarily are, like, you know, lower socioeconomics, which happens to be that sometimes um, parallels with, you know, um, black and brown communities. Um, yeah, and so I, that was just, like, so crazy um, thinking about that. Uh, also, like, the fact that I didn't even know that uh, this, this film, like, was, like, introduced a new idea. I, I didn't know that like Nixon was actually the one who said, who like proposed the idea for the war on drugs, but Reagan was the one who like, um, like really put that, implemented that and like kind of like amp- amplify that. And I, I was just in, like, I was just like, that's so crazy because like, I never, like this whole time, like we're always talking about like Reagan, Reagan did this, Reagan did that. And yes, he did. He did a lot, right? But <laughs> what you call it at the same time, like Nixon was the one who coined the term anyways, like he's the one who did it like said like this is gonna happen Um, yeah and i feel like even worse clinton like the film talks about how clinton was the one that actually like implemented (laughs) these like terrible policies and like yeah he apologized and yeah hillary clinton apologized and (laughs) was like oh wait yeah oh wait i guess it was a bad idea it didn't work out exactly like we planned like sure no you it worked out exactly as you planned you wanted to people to vote for you because at that time it was like good to be hard on crime or whatever that's exactly how it worked and you got what you wanted but you only just realized that people now are like criticizing you for it and seeing what happened and like now you feel bad about it so yeah I was like really upset about that and yeah I feel like um actually in a lot of our readings I feel like I noticed the theme of like it being really important to be critical of people who like even you may have supported like with Obama in um the book that we read um last week i forget what the book is called it was um we too sing america yeah in we too sing america she talks a lot about some policies that the obama administration implemented that were really negative and i feel like that's like a perfect example of like why it's important to be like critical of people that like you may have supported but you know they did harmful things and they need to acknowledge those harms i think uh, another super striking example that was brought up in 13th is the idea that uh 
crack was punished at a rate that was like it had to be a hundred times the amount of uh, powdered cocaine to receive the same punishment. I think there's a lot of different policies that uh, target communities of color without using so many words, but that's like one uh, very obvious example that, hey, this is literally the same drug. It just happens to be distributed in different communities. So we're going to punish it differently based on that. So kind of going back to what you said at the very start of our discussion about the imagery where the word criminal shows up throughout the film, Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking actually about like, I don't know if you guys remember, but there were these like clips from this this, uh, film, Birth of a Nation, that was produced that was, um, you know, when like... I think one of like the first examples of how like mass media set out to like create these like stereotypes of the black criminal. Um, and I, I also noticed that thing or that some clips from that film played like throughout. Um, and also I really liked the way that they like also replayed like, I think there was a specific video of this man being pushed, this black man being pushed by all these white people around and this was being played like while um they were also playing audio oh, yeah. of, like we trump's rally too. yeah trump's rally mm-hmm. when he's like talking about like you know like back in the good good old days when we could just like attack people with like no repercussions like we would have had this protester out of here in like a second or i would have punched him in the face you know stuff like that and like they're playing these films of like um the civil rights era when people you know were being attacked like on the streets um yeah i just thought like their use of like imagery and videos being paired with audio and also what you were talking about with the words was like so powerful and like kind of expressing a point about like like if you played that audio of trump by itself like yeah it's disturbing but then when you like kind of compare it to like these like historical narratives about like the black criminal and like how black people have been treated throughout various points in history it, it made for like a really powerful moment in yeah that time for sure um i think that's like that was also one of the um sort of like more powerful images that i like i also uh, noticed and i didn't write about it specifically but like yeah like that sort of paralleling it to like well look what's still being said look what's still being done um and it's all an effort to like you know like once again just uh, kind of like going back to the idea of like criminal, criminalizing people, criminalizing black people. Um, that's just, or just like you know, like just the just the mistreatment of people who are just trying to advocate for something else. And like, you know, when I think of mistreatment too, I think of like how like the film also said that like you know um, a lot like a lot of the black leaders that we have have always been like you know either like. Like snuffed out in some way or like they're they've just been like pushed down in some way and like like where are we at now like why can't we feel like we have like any like we're we're weakened right now because like we don't feel like we ha- i feel like the black community doesn't feel like they have something like to hold on to because there's not really like one person that is like a staple like of the time um of, of our time right now and like advocacy right now um so yeah, just just thinking about that as well. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that that was also kind of talked about in uh, when they call you a terrorist. Um, she was talking, or 
Patrice uh, Khan Kohlers was talking about um, how even like a lot of the leaders at the Ferguson protests had been found killed. Like I think three of them had been found killed in their cars and how like, I mean, the police like raided her home after she started speaking out. And it was, yeah, it was really scary about how like the state kind of fights back against people, well, against people that fight back, you know, for their own rights. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like that contributes to like making people not want to like kind of step out and speak up and like be leaders because it really, I mean, it puts like a target on your back, um, unfortunately, but yeah, it's really scary. Yeah. yeah, going off of that, I think it's interesting how earlier, Leah, you mentioned the idea that during the civil rights movement, like people would be killed on the streets and how that was like kind of something that happened then. But as we have been reading in and they call you a terrorist and have seen in these films, that's a reality that's still happening today. And I feel like uh, since we currently live in this day and age, it, it rarely happens that it's like, oh, yeah, there's eight of those news stories in one day. But when we look back at uh, videos about the civil rights movement, it'll have like almost the highlight reel of sorts. So mm-hmm. like yes. instance after instance of like people being murdered and people being killed. And when you look at the number of cases that have happened in the last 10 years, that can still be told today. And I'm worried to think about what my kids and grandkids will think about our day and age. Yeah, yeah definitely. So um, transitioning to talking about um, the other film, Three and a Half um, Minutes, Ten Bullets, uh, it was also around the same kind of length of uh, 13th. But um, I think it gave, it kind of like, I guess, the visual text and the the, um, the reading for this week, um, When They Call You a Terrorist, kind of uh, feel like showed um, or like speak, spoke, each of them kind of like showed the, a different perspective of like what criminalizing black, black people do, has done, like the effects of it. Like I feel like for um, 13th, it was a, like a sort of like an overview of like the systematic repression of black people and like um, the criminalization um, there as well. Um, and then uh, our reading when they call you a terrorist was like a specific, like like uh, like a basically like a an example of like how um, criminalizing black people um, affect is not just like a like it just doesn't affect the person who who is the victim. It also affects the um, like a like extend extends like it. It extends to like the family members and like like the the psych- psychological effects and all this stuff. Um, I felt like were highlighted in when they call you terrorists. And then um, three and a half minutes um, basically showed a specific case of like what like what a police violence case for um, um, a black a black person in this case Jordan Davis um, like looked like like the frustration in that. Um, I, was it a reenactment? Do you guys know if it was a reenactment? This was like they, yeah, them recording. And, of the actual trial. I did not, re- I like, I could not tell. <laughs> but but like what you call it, yeah, like I, like an actual specific case of um, like, you know, like what what this, what a police violence case looks like. Um, and yeah, the frustrations and tensions in there. So I think like, yeah, it was a like three and a half minutes was like sort of like that sort of example for us. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was definitely hard to watch, especially knowing that it was real and like seeing like, I don't know, especially like 
one thing that like really got to me, you know, hit me in the feels, as people say, um, was like uh, Jordan Davis's mom um, throughout the whole thing. And like, and actually both of his parents, the fact that both of his parents went to every single uh, day of the trial and well, really both trials, because there was like a retrial and like just wanted justice for their son. And like the fact that that couldn't be provided. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's like crazy to me that like something like this can happen. And it's like a question whether he is guilty of murder, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, he shot him. I mean, that's like, and it was not self-defense. I felt like that was pretty obvious. Oh my God. Despite his like lying. I mean, like, I don't know. It was just like crazy to me that that was even a question and that they even called into question the character of all the boys in the car. I mean, they're boys, they're teenagers. They they were playing loud music. Is that, does that warrant? Yeah, Someone loud music, shot? no, loud music does not warrant getting shot. <laughs> Basically, no matter what you're doing, even talking back, even being sassy or whatever to the person, like talking back to them, being rude, that does not warrant getting shot. I mean, almost nothing warrants getting <laughs> shot unless you're like, literally putting them in danger and obviously he was not um yeah and like yeah that really like i mean it just made me scared like i think a lot of people for like people in this country like i i can't imagine like being a black person in the country and knowing that this person like basically almost walked free when they just like shot someone Mm -hmm. in cold blood for no reason like that's the scariest thing to me like not knowing that you would get justice if you just got shot down in the street Mm -hmm. Yeah, going off of that, I feel like uh, when I think about the situation around when Jordan got shot, I have done similar things. Like last night, I was with my friends and we had music that was on pretty loud. Is that a time that I could be shot? But that's not a fear of mine, most likely because I'm a white man. And then when I think about like, there's so many people in this country who aren't in that position. Mm -hmm. And to just like, have to live with fear every moment of your life speaks to a really uh, big problem that's ingrained into our culture right now that is acceptable, but uh, there needs to be some public outcry to change that. Um, There was a question asked in the film, um, and it was, I forgot who asked it, but it was, what is a justifiable use of force? Um, And I just wanted to ask, like, your opinions on that um for my my answer to that is like a just i don't know use of force the the force part is really what gets me like why does this sort of force excessive force need to be used that's one and i guess if you were asking what is a justifiable use of justifiable use of force unbiased uh not um like you know like sort of like to criminalize anybody like it, it should be it that's what I would say per- personally. Like, it is a like justifiable. If we were, if we could look at these cases and not be like, okay, why are black people the, being disproportionately re- represented in police violence cases? That would be justifiable. But we can't ask that question if that's not the case. You know. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think? What is a justifiable use of force? Like, that's a cool idea. Like, I I just was like, 
It's a strange question to ask. I think it's a really hard position to like put someone who's writing the laws in to try to write down whether or not it's allowed to murder another human being. I think that the mm -hmm. assumption should be no, it's not okay. Yeah. There is no justifiable use. And then if a case comes up where, hey, was this okay? That's something to discuss and try to figure out. But writing into your laws that, yeah, if someone's breaking into your property, if you feel threatened, it's okay to murder someone. Of course, people are going to start murdering each other. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. it, uh, I think it's a slippery slope to try to justify any use of force. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. And especially with police, the amount that police use force or like lethal force to deal with situations is like way more than it should be for sure. And because there are a lot of other countries where police don't even carry guns because they've been taught ways to de-escalate situations that don't involve shooting someone and killing them. I mean, like, I, honestly, like, it's hard for me to advocate like any use of like even non-lethal force when there are like ways to de-escalate situations other than that. Mm -hmm. But like, I mean, guns definitely aren't necessary. <laughs> So like, I feel like that's not really a even like a question in many parts of the world, but like for some reason in the US, we think that we, the police need guns. And um, I just like completely don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. um, but like with regard to like this video, which wasn't really talking about police so much as like talking about like, kind of like, I guess self-defense and specifically like the stand your ground law in Florida, which is like also- Does that still exist? Uh, I don't know. We we can look it up, but yeah, I have, I I don't know, but like yeah, that was crazy to me that that is even a law. And um, actually, it was so interesting because like the the documentary the Thirteenth actually mentioned that law as one of the laws that um, the Alec organization like backed. Oh, so there was a connection there. Yeah, like that the evil like organization that creates all the worst laws in our country back that law so like there was definitely a connection there and like i feel like if it hadn't been for that law like i think it would have been more clear mm -hmm. for the jury or the people in that courtroom that uh michael dunn was guilty but because of that law it was like all of a sudden a question of whether he felt like justifiably threatened which like annoyed me to no end but you know and the double standards that they mentioned in the video definitely seem to really ring true. The idea that if instead the shooter was a middle-aged African-American man and he shot at uh, four teenage boys, white boys playing country music, it would be like a very <laughs> cut and dry case. I feel like that made it super obvious. And also the idea that the jury convicted of four cases of second degree uh, or attempted homicide. Yeah. And that was insane to me that you could somehow do some sort of mental gymnastics and say, yeah, he was attempting to murder people and miss, but the one that he killed, that one he wasn't attempting. That, yeah. I, I didn't understand that. <laughs> I, you know, all these cases, I mean, like, you know, just to get out of the, like, sort of formal character for this podcast, uh, all these cases are just kind of ridiculous. I mean, like, I just, yeah. like, the questions that I asked were, like, how can people blatantly lie like this? How can, like, people just not, like, be so, you know, like, caught in their ways or just, like, pretend like the evidence isn't right there? Like, saying that, like, oh, he could have dropped it out or, like, he they could have hid the gun that they had. No gun was found. Uh, I mean, I'm just yeah. so, it's just every time I, like, I almost have to laugh, like, but it's never, like, in, like, actual... 
it's almost in hysterics. It's just like, why? Like, why? Does like, because it's just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. like, I cannot believe this is what happened. But it's like, that, I mean, it's funny that you like thought maybe as a reenactment because like, it's almost like unbelievable that that was like real <laughs> footage of like, like, I mean, that trial was like, it was like kind of like a sham. Like they were just like, like, it, yeah, it was just really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um. one thing that I found really frustrating with the trial was it seemed pretty clear that the judge felt like the guy was guilty. And it just seemed very clear to us that the guy seemed guilty. But then the jury of the quote unquote peers had yeah. to deliberate it. I feel like that kind of puts the system that's currently in place into question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> So we have a whole bunch of thoughts on this topic, as might be clear by the fact that we're currently 24 minutes into this podcast. Sorry that it lasted so long. Uh, That's all we have for today. It's been a pleasure until the final podcast. Yeah.